Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Father, would you open the word? We want to see Jesus. He is our life. He is our strength. When we touch him, we are strong again. Lord, disciple us. We just removed the 2,000 years right now, and we stand in that crowd, listening to you in the temple, hearing you tell us that you are the light of the world. Teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. John 8. This has been a a, a remarkable time, this Feast of Booths. Jesus has gone down to Jerusalem during the Feast of Booths. Feast of Booths is one of three autumn festivals that the Lord uh, establishes in the Old Testament. Uh, And it is designed to remember the the, uh, Exodus. So everybody is supposed to sleep outdoors in brush arbors through these seven days of the, of the Feast of Booth. It's a week long. Uh, you're supposed to make some, you know, you make some rough uh, structure and then you pile brush on top or branches or reeds. And yet it, you're, you're not supposed to have such an effective roof that you can't see through it. So you're supposed to sleep out there and, and eat out there. And to this day, if you go to to Israel at, at Feast of Booths, even apartments, you know, third-story apartments with a little balcony, <laughs> you know, that balcony will be one solid little uh, sukkah, the one little, you know, you go out there and there's this little thing and the brush on top of it. I mean, big items, people are bringing palm fronds in from the, out in the, out in the Negev and all that, <laughs> you know, so you can sell them so you can put them on your sukkah. And uh, they have these booths. This is the week Jesus is there. He's not celebrating this festival. Why? It is a prophetic festival that speaks of his return. Uh, Remember what he says with Passover. He says, oh, I have long desired to have this Passover with you. So he celebrates Passover because that's that's supposed to be fulfilled now. But but the Feast of Booths speaks of the coming of the Messiah. Uh, It's actually in Zechariah when he comes. The thing you'll do is have the Feast of Booths. Never mind. So he's there ministering during this. In the middle of the week, he walks in. He's, he's, he's a wanted man. They want to kill him. In the middle of the week, he walks into the temple courtyard. Undoubtedly, there, the portico of Solomon out in the court of the Gentiles, the big outer, outer court, and starts teaching. And crowds gather, and, and all of this dialogue begins to take place. Then on the, the last day of the feast, uh, uh, where... One of the great symbols of that feast was that the priest would go down to the pool of Siloam and dip a pitcher uh, uh, of water out of that pool of Siloam, which is fed by the spring of Gihon. Uh, and, and they would march it up to the temple and they would pour it out, if you recall, on the, into the altar, right into the base of it, uh, which is the burning, this great burning um, burnt offering. They pour it into the base. And it's a symbol of of the rock in the wilderness that when they were out of water, uh, Moses struck the rock and the water gushed out. And so 
Is anyone, and then on, as, as that's going on, maybe as soon as he finished, who knows how he did that, uh, Jesus stood up, this is in the, in the uh, inner courts, and he cried out so that all could hear. He said, is anyone thirsty? Let him come to me and drink. And as the, spirit, as the scriptures have said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He says, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink, and then you too will become a rock from which rivers of water flow out of you. Did you, did you follow that? He doesn't just say, come and drink, out of me flow rivers of living water. He says, if you come to me and drink, out of you will flow rivers of living water. This is so Jesus. This is the way he does stuff. Uh, he ropes us into the process. And, and, and then, so that's been said. And then we saw that uh, the next day, which is the day where the, uh, uh, called Simkatora in Jerusalem, uh, it's the eighth day, and it's specifically designated by Moses. It's not something that just got added on. It's, it's specifically designated by Moses. It is the day to celebrate the giving of the law. And it, it is the last reading of the Torah for the, for the Jewish people uh, as they go each year through the five books of Moses. You read the Torah round and round and round. Well, it's the last reading, and the next day you'll go to Genesis 1-1, and you'll start your reading back through the Torah the next day. So they're celebrating the giving of the law. On that day, uh, they, uh, a group of Pharisees come, and Jesus is teaching in the court of the women, uh, where the big uh, wooden platform will, is built now uh, for the priests to stand on and read the Torah to all the people. Tens and thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands will gather to hear this. And in that, uh, they put in front of him a woman. They say, we should caught in the act of adultery. Uh, what are you going to do? Now they're testing him. Will he ignore the moral code of the law? Will he do it? Who, who recalls what he said? He turned to them and he said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. In other words, uh, if we're going to judge her by the law, then how about you guys? How are you doing? And uh, that was very effective. Uh, they, <laughs> they all, good point. And uh, so they, they, all, they all began to, and then they all left one at a time, starting with the oldest ones. We have the longest list of sins. And... <clears throat> So we've been at it longer. Uh, and then he looks up and he says, uh, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, there are none, Lord. And he says, and neither do I accuse you. And then he said, go and sin no more. So he doesn't change the code. He doesn't change the standards, but he shows us the heart of the father. The heart of the father. Yes, indeed, it does say that an adulterer should be stoned in this particular case. And yet, Jesus is showing us what God the Father, how, how he will interpret this. He does not want the woman stoned. He wants her to repent. Hallelujah. This is the heart of God. This is the one who gave the law. And this is how he wants it used. We are seeing the light of the world. He's showing us the heart of the Father. Lord, open our hearts, open our ears, open our, open our understanding now. We would follow in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. One verse. This is what happens next. The, the Pharisees and the woman leave. The crowd is still there. And he turns to them 
and says this. Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Would you read his quote with me? I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Say light of life. Look at that. I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. Soon after our family arrived here, nearly 25 years ago, someone shared with us a prophetic word that had been given to this church. The word was this. You've been called to be a river, not a lake. To be honest with you, my heart sank a bit when I heard that statement uh, because I knew what it meant. It meant we were going to send people out about as fast as we took them in, which is a fine way to build the kingdom of God, but pretty hard on the heart when you have to keep saying goodbye to people you love. And that has indeed been the case. Sure, some people have left for sad reasons, but most have left for good ones. We sent people off to school. We've planted churches. Uh, We've sent missionaries to the other side of town and to the far side of the earth. Some people even moved back home in order to win unbelieving family to the Lord. Others followed job offers to distant cities and became part of what God is doing there. And some left us by stepping from this world into the arms of Jesus. Thankfully, at least as many people have come in the door as have gone out. So there's still a strong community of believers here. But if we had somehow managed to keep all those people over all those years, we would have become a big lake. But that wasn't God's plan. His plan was for us to give away, not just receive, to bless at least as much as we've been blessed, to be a river, not a lake. This is a deep theme in the heart of God. He gives us something so we can give it away. And that's the way it is with his light. Three truths. Let's hear it again. Why don't you read what I've written there? Because it's my my translation. I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not at all walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see that not at all thing? That's a double negative. He says, will not not. Uh, He will not not. It's a a double negative. Uh, The one who follows me will not in any way Walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. How can one statement be so full of meaning? But it is. Today we look at three of the great truths contained in these words. First, we'll recognize Jesus as the pillar of fire who leads us through the wilderness. Second, we'll see him as the one who shines light on our path to reveal the next step so we won't stumble. And third, we'll examine the phrase, the light of life, to discover that he wants us to become a source of light for others. The crowd that had gathered before the woman and her accusers arrived was still present. So he turned to them and said, I am the light of the world. Notice that cosmos, it's a big word. The one who follows me will not at all walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. To understand what he meant by calling himself the light of the world, we must first hear it as that crowd gathered on the eighth day of the Feast of Booths heard it. All the ceremonies of the Feast of Booths were designed to remind the people of Israel's years in the desert. 
And during that festival, the people would sleep in brush arbors to remind them of the crude shelters their ancestors had made while crossing the Sinai Peninsula on their way to the land of Midian. You recall leaving Egypt, they're running. I mean, they're going as fast as you can go with walking, and I think there's some herds and flocks involved, but they're moving. They're trying to get across that peninsula. They did not go down to the tip of it. That, that had been absolutely fatal. Uh, they went across it to the land of Midian. Midian's on the other side of the Red Sea. Was then, still is. Okay, so they're moving across this thing, and, so, and they don't have tents. We're, we're, we're living under brush. We're, we're piling stuff over us when we, when we sleep. And I suppose we're making tents as we go. Who knows? But uh, that's why the, it's reminding them of those, that de- those days. The priests would pour a pitcher of water onto the, into the altar of burnt offering each day to remind the people of the water God provided from the rock. The yearly cycle of reading through the Torah, five books of Moses, would conclude on the eighth day of the festival. And during the festival, four huge poles were placed in the court of the women. Now, the court of the women is not a place where just women are. It's as far as the women can go in pursuing into the temple. There is one more court, court of Israel, where the men can go in, but that's only a few times a year. And they just stand around the perimeter and watch the priests. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just a rare privilege kind of thing. So the court of the women is the kind of the big front court within the temple compound. I mean, not, not just the big court of the Gentiles, but this is in the main part. And it's where you've got uh, uh, all kinds. You've got the treasury there. You've got the, they, they have the wood for the, for the fires up there. They have the lepers and the sick people are being examined by priests there. Uh, it's the big activity area. And then you have the, the steps that lead up to the temple and the, the singers, the Levites, will all stand on those steps. So this is the activity area. All right, so we're in the, in the court of the women. Um, so in that, four huge poles were placed in the court of the women, each having four large oil lamps at the top. These were lit at night to illumine the courtyard for the festivities that would be held there, singing and dancing. They're as big, we're as big as telephone poles. And they stick up over the walls of that compound, that, that area. And, and on them are these enormous tanks of oil. And I think there were wicks to these things, uh, like, a, like a big uh, lamp. Um, but you've got, this, these, are, these are big items. And in the evenings, they have singing and dancing. So you've got the Levites, hundreds of them will be singing, you know, and all this. But it's joyful stuff. And the men dance, the, the women don't. In fact, they actually have the women kind of separated, so the men and women don't dance together. Yeah, they didn't want anything untoward. So the, the men, and the old men particularly, <laughs> they dance. And they dance often with torches in their hands. Yeah. And so they're, and, and, and they, one, well, I'll get to that in a minute. So they're dancing, and so you've got the music going, and it's, fest- it's joyful dancing. I mean, it's, you can just see these guys, you know. And, and one, one uh, rabbi, uh, interesting, you'll know the name, Gamaliel, remember? Gamaliel, we've got, we see him in the book of Acts. He was Paul's mentor. He was particularly good, and he could juggle flaming torches. What does that remind you of? Yeah? You thought they came up with it in Hawaii. No. (laughs) Who knows? 
So it's this kind of joyful dancing in the light of these great torches that are burning every night during the Feast of Booths while we are in our brush arbors remembering our travel across the Sinai Peninsula uh, in, on, in the Exodus. Here's a quote from rabbinic sources describing these lamps. Great lamps of gold were erected with four golden oil cups at the top of each. Four young priests in training would climb to the top carrying immense oil cans with which they would fill the cups. Once lit, there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that did not glow from the light of that celebration. They were meant to remind worshipers of the Exodus. The light that radiated from them symbolized the pillar of fire that led Israel at night, rested above the tabernacle and shone from the top of Mount Sinai. They shone over the entire city and how natural it would have been for a family sleeping outside in a brush arbor on a warm autumn evening to watch its glow streaming through the branches above them and to picture themselves back in that ancient camp with the great pillar of fire watching over them. The symbolism was unmistakable, but sadly the lamps were extinguished at the end of the week. Can't you can't you picture yourself as a family sleeping out in, in your sukkah, your, your, your brush arbor in, in, the, in the backyard or maybe on the roof of your house? And, and you got the children, everybody's lying there. And through the, through the cracks and holes of that brush come the light. And you're reminding your children, our fathers and mothers... Our ancestors, when they were sleeping in the brush, the great pillar of fire would hover over our camp. And they would have been lit like this. I mean, it's just so vivid. This is really remarkable. Don't you, I'd love to do it. Wouldn't you love to do that? Go sleep in one of those things and, and have that, have that and, and just picture yourself there on the desert floor in the Exodus with that great pillar of fire watching over you. So in that courtyard, on the day after the lamps were extinguished, Jesus announced, I am the light of the world. As we read through the Gospel of John, we repeatedly hear Jesus use images from the Exodus to explain his ministry. He is the serpent that Moses lifted up in the wilderness. He is the manna from heaven. He is the rock that poured forth living water. And then on the eighth day of the Feast of Booths, when the great lamps had been extinguished, he compares himself to the pillar of fire that led Israel for 40 years. However, in this case, Jesus says he is not only Israel's light, but he says he is the light of what? The world, yes. And when Israel walked through the desert, a great pillar of fire lit their way at night. It led them through, the, through strange, unfamiliar territory and finally brought them safely to their destination. As they went, it illuminated the rocky ground in front of them so that they wouldn't stumble. And its very presence hovering over their camp assured them that God was with them. Listen, let's turn with me, if you, if you have your Bible there, to Numbers chapter 9. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Starting at verse 15. Just, just let's get a sense of how 
how that great pillar of fire led the people of Israel. Now, on verse 15, on the day that the tabernacle was erected, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of testimony, and in the evening, it, it was like the appearance of fire over the tabernacle until morning. So it was continuously. The cloud would cover it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was lifted over the tent, afterward the sons of Israel would then set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the sons of Israel would camp. At the command of the Lord, the sons of Israel would set out. And at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud settled over the tabernacle, they remained camped. Even when the cloud lingered over the tabernacle for many days, the sons of Israel would keep the Lord's charge and not set out. If sometimes the cloud remained a few days over the tabernacle, according to the command of the Lord, they remained camped. And then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. If sometimes the, the cloud remained from evening until morning, in other words, just one day, just stayed overnight, the cloud was lifted and cloud was lifted in the morning, they would move out. Or if it remained in the daytime and at night, whenever the cloud was lifted, they would set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a year, the cloud would that the cloud lingered over the tabernacle, staying above it. The sons of Israel remained camped and did not set out. But when it was lifted, they did set out. The command of the Lord they camped. The command of the Lord they set out and kept the Lord's charge according to the command of the Lord through Moses. You notice how you're led. God is modeling how he leads his people through this. And Jesus is saying, I'm like that fire. I will lead you like that fire led Israel. Well, notice something. The fire, as long as the cloud stayed, they stayed. When the, cloud, when the, when the fire moved, they moved. It was up to the, to the fire, to the pillar, as to how long they stayed. Not to them. They followed. And they didn't get a map. They got a leader. They were led day at a time. They don't know where it's going. They don't know where they are. They just follow. Don't you love being led like that? Sure, none of us ask God, well, what will happen with this? You know, where are we going? Are we there yet? By comparing himself to that pillar of fire, Jesus is teaching us about how he guides us. Just as Israel followed the cloud and the fire through the wilderness, we are to follow him. He doesn't give us a map and say, go. He goes before us day by day and says, come. Such following requires great trust. When we don't know where we are going, we have to trust that he does. We have to believe that if we'll obey step by step, we will, in his timing, arrive at our promise. This is the way it is with God. It won't change for you or me. I've tried. I can save you the trouble. <laughs> you will, as you go, he will give you the next step. You say, well, what will happen then? What about, how will I fund it? How will I, um, what will they say if I do that? He won't answer you. He said, 
Try it. You'll see. As you walk with the Lord, step at a time, just doing what you're told, you can at times look backward and go, whoa, there's a plan. Look at that. When you look forward, you see nothing. How do you like that? I don't either. But he doesn't change. If you want to walk with God, that's how you'll do it. He will, you will not be able to stonewall him and he'll, he'll, he'll warm up to your ways. He'll just wait you out. He will make you take that step going, where are we going? I hope you're right. Oh boy. And that's the way it is. And what you'll find is he is right. He, he knows where he's going. He knows where he's going. He gives you just what you need today. Just what you need today. This process forces us to become very dependent. And requires us to stay in constant relationship with him. I believe that's the point of it. He doesn't want you just doing the thing. He wants you needing him. He's not trying to dumb you down. He's trying to make you a son and a daughter. He wants us. He loves us. This is relationship. This is why he made us. That's a way to accomplish something so that we would be his people. So yes, he's not telling you the whole thing. You're going to need him day at a time. You're going to trust him and have to come back to him and ask again and again and again and again and again. That's not failure. That's the way it is. That's the way he works. He's the pillar that leads us day by day. It's uncomfortable. It's dangerous. And it's amazingly effective when we do it. He takes us places we would never have had the courage to go on our own. Another reason he doesn't tell you where you're going. That's true. Is you wouldn't go if you knew. His plans for us are always larger and more challenging than we would ever have accepted if you look at it, you know, well, it's, it's the Moses thing. I can't do that. I can't even talk. What do you mean? Leave the people. You know. He says, uh, did I make your tongue? Then come on. You know, he, he, he takes people who feel inadequate and he, he causes us to do great things way beyond ourselves. So if he told you, you'd, you'd chicken out. With me, I so want to know. And, and, I, and I, uh, my wife made the comment. And, you know, you know I, if, if I know where I'm going, I'll get there without him. You know what I mean? I'll just, like, I don't need you. I got it. And that just worked wonderfully. Um, so virtually with me, he has to keep me in the dark in order to get me where he wants me. Do you like this? Yes. It does work. And there comes moments in your life, I promise you. You walk this way with him. There'll come moments you look back and you go, wow, I can't believe where we came. How on earth did this happen? His plans are good. He's leading you to a promised land. He's leading you into blessing. He's never leading you astray. The great threat against him, the great, the great unbelief of the people was he's brought us out here to die. He'll leave us and strand us. And it infuriated God. It infuriated him. He says, they've tested me these 10 times. 
They have no faith. He says, Moses, I'll make a new generation out of you. That he hates that. He doesn't bring us out to die. He brings us out to bring us in. But he has to strengthen us in the process. He's, he's raising us up. He's making us strong. He's teaching us things. He's making us children of God. That's where we're going with this. This is a training course. This is boot camp. Light on our path. Physical light illumines what is hidden in the darkness. Spiritual light reveals truth that has been hidden from the human mind. By applying the term light of the world to himself, Jesus announced that he is the one who accurately reveals the truth about God. By watching and listening to him, we are, in effect, watching and listening to the Father. Because everything Jesus said and did was initiated by the Father and then perfectly expressed by the Son. In the very context he speaks it, he has just shown us how the Father would respond to this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. The law commands this. The law had been given by God. And how would God apply his law? He would want her to repent and give her mercy. That's how the God who wrote the law would handle it. He is the light of the world. So I watch Jesus. I see how the Father would do it. Isn't that lovely? Boy, that changes things. I mean, that truth is just, that's, it's, that's, that's, an, that's an earthquake, that truth. Those who walk by that light will find answers to the most important questions about God and themselves. That light will protect them from being deceived or confused. They will walk and not stumble because step by step, he will reveal his truth to them. They won't walk in darkness. There will always be light on their path. You see, yes, he leads us. But what about I'm walking through a wilderness and there's, there's bushes and there's rocks and there's crevices and there's snakes, if I'm not mistaken. And we're walking at night through this thing. And so if I don't have light, I'm going to stumble and fall very quickly. So his light shines on my path so I can see where I'm stepping. So each step is informed by the light that shines on my path. When faced with a decision, we, a decision, we ask ourselves, what has Jesus taught us? And then whatever he says, we do. And whatever he forbids, we stop. The result of walking this way is a remarkable string of successes. Situations that could have turned out badly because we walked in his light turn out well. What might have been a stumbling stone because his light has revealed it and warned us that it's there becomes a stepping stone. And life so lived becomes an accumulation of such successes. Obedience to Jesus of walking in his light is the true source of blessing, peace, and fruitfulness. Grace is given. Blessing is earned, if you want to say it that way, through, through obedience. Let me give you an illustration of this. His ways aren't our ways. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. 
So you'll notice that the light he shows you, the the revelation he gives you in choice by choice and situation by situation, if you turn to him, you turn to his word, you listen to the spirit, what you will hear will often grate. It is not what you wanted to hear. You're in a situation, you have a a relational offense. The person uh, that you you are offended with, you sure, you know, you know, you're supposed to talk to them, but they're an idiot. I mean, you know, you, 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 there's no point in it. You know, there's no point. God must know there's no point. And, and so you don't want to do it because there's just no, no point of it. And yet there's, there's his word saying, you know, if, if you have offense, be reconciled and speak the truth and love and on and on. So, well, it does say that. And now the question comes, do I obey or do I do what my mind, my emotions say? Do, do we ever want to reconcile? I mean, very seldom, you know, in terms of, 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 of this. But here's what happens. How often have you, have, you, have you simply said, okay, I don't want to, I'm offended or they're offended or this is, this is ruined forever, there's no point in it. But your word says it, so I'll do it. You know, I know it won't work, but we'll just do it anyway. And then in the process of you speaking the truth in love, in love, and being reconciled, the relationship is actually healed. And here's the secret, made stronger. Because you see, if you and I, if our relationship is only good as long as we're both walking on eggshells, and not offending each other, it really isn't a relationship. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dance. And as soon as I get tired, as soon as my adrenaline is down, as soon as whatever, something stupid comes out of my mouth, we're done. Because you'll get offended and we're over. But if you and I can actually have a, a bump, an encounter, some misunderstanding, and then we come together and we forgive each other, do you know what the lesson is? The lesson is you love me and I love you and we, the relationship's stronger than the offense and we'll work through it. Now I'm secure with you. Now I'm at peace with you. Now I'm safe with you. We can fight. Isn't that where we have good family members? Isn't that the joy of good family members? You can fight, let down your hair, be an idiot and then the next day they all love you still. That's the wonder of family is I'm, I belong even when I'm foolish. That's the basis of relationship. I'm choosing to love you. Even when you make a mistake or I make a mistake, we will reconcile and we'll come out of this. People, that's how a marriage happens. If you don't learn that, you will not hold on to a marriage. That's how we, our, our relationship with our children happen. That's how our, our, any form of relationship, and certainly the life of a church. If I simply... Wait till I get offended enough and then leave and go find nice people. I will never learn that lesson. I've, I've said this to some people who just kind of bump, 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 bump. And I said, why don't you stay and actually work through it? Why don't you stay and forgive and talk with them and work it through and learn those skills? Because often the leavers are the ones who simply never do learn the skills. They always come up with an excuse not to obey what the Lord says. My wife and I took the Bible literally. And when we got married, the Bible said, don't let the, or the sun go down on your wrath. We thought he meant it. Um, and so what it meant for us is, and, and we, we, 
she's a leader and so am I. And can you imagine how that works? And, uh, and so bump, 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 bump. And had we given in, there was a point, probably five years into our marriage, we both would have pushed a button and dropped the other through the floor. You know, it's like, it's like somebody asked Ruth Graham, and she said, have you ever thought of divorce? She said, no, but I have thought of murder. You know, and, uh, and, but for us, I mean, I'm just telling you. I mean, I, I, I understand. But for us, because you have two Christians, and both of them have the same Bible. So for us, uh, we're, A, we're not allowed to divorce, and B, it says we have to forgive each other, and we, we can't go to get bed mad. So that we would lie in bed and rustle around to make sure the other one knew that we weren't so spiritually obtuse that we'd fall asleep. <laughs> <clears throat> Waiting for the other to go first, you know. And, and then we would apologize or walk it through. And we're now going to be married 45 years in August. Um, amen. And, 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 and we, are, we are partners. And it's out of the strength of that relationship that our children, much of the church, stands on the fact that Mary and I love each other. I'm telling you that because the same will be true of you. In the strength of your, of your love for each other in marriage, first of all, but also with your children, also with your church. In the strength of that kind of thing, people get healed. People find safety. People, the, the, the world looks for that kind of stability. But it comes when we let his light shine on our path and do walk where his light shows us where to walk. I think one of the characteristics of Jesus that confirms to me that he is truly the son of God is that there is not only a depth to what he says, but there is always an element of surprise. He, he says things we humans, or at least I, would never have thought to say. He adds statements you have to stop and think about, and at first they don't make sense. But then if you reflect deeply, it, it suddenly dawns on you that what he said makes perfect sense in light of the character of God. But neither you nor anyone you know would have ever thought to say that. Have you noticed? His words, his statements are just on another level. Uh, they, it is not human logic. You, 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 you're going along fine, and then he says something, you go, what? And, 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 and at first, it's just like it's insanity. And then you think about it, go, no, wait a minute, he's right. But he really lifts you up. You, when you deal with Jesus, you get lifted up to another level. Here's a perfect example. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not at all walk in darkness. That makes sense. Assuming, of course, he's the divine son of God. Otherwise, it's crazy. He's telling us that he's the revealer of spiritual truth. So if we follow him, we won't be deceived or confused. We will know the truth about God. Hallelujah. So far, so good. But then he adds this. But he, meaning the one who follows me, will have the light of life. What does that mean? Everything would have gone smoothly if he just said, the one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but I will light his path. But he didn't. He said, those who follow him will have the light of life. 
The phrase light of life is like bread of life. Jesus is the bread that produces life in those who eat that bread. And we would want to say, and Jesus is the light that produces life in us. And that's true. But here comes that typical surprise that he so often inserts. He said, those who follow him will have the light of life. So what do we as followers have that can give off such light? I believe he's speaking about the Holy Spirit, whom he would place within those who come to him. He's saying that those who walk in his light will become a light for others. We don't just receive light, we glow. There's a pattern here. Earlier, we learned that Jesus doesn't just give us a drink of living water and leave it at that. He causes rivers of living water to flow out of us to refresh others. And now we discover that as the light of the world, he not only leads us and lights our path, but he also fills us with the Holy Spirit, with the one Paul calls the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, until we become sources of life to others. He doesn't leave us at the stage of being followers of God. He presses us further and places the spirit inside us until we become carriers of God. He, he who said, I am the light of the world, later said, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And then he said, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. That would be men and women. And in case we miss the point, he said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, why don't you read this out loud with me? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I am the light of the world. Then he turns around and says, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And then he says, you are the light of the world. He puts his spirit within us. And we now become the light of the world. Through us, people see God. Through us, they hear wisdom. Through us, they hear the word of God. Through us, they hear the truth. Through us, he's looking for us, us to be people. How? I think teaching the word, living our lives righteously. I mean, we model, you show, just as he did, the light. I think the gifts of the Spirit are part of that equation. I think that's one reason it's so important that, uh, we, that we be free in the gifts of the Spirit. Think of this, the, the word of knowledge. What's that for? It's not just for us. That's for others. And you will find that as you move and grow in the Lord, the Lord will use you in the word of knowledge. And people will come and say, do you mind if I talk to you a minute? I got this situation. They're not really looking for your wisdom. They're looking for God to talk through you in a sense, and I don't mean, thus saith the Lord, that, that can be offensive. But, but, it's, but it's just, out of you comes the wisdom of the Lord. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom. Prophecy. 
discernment of spirits. That means knowing a lie from the truth. That means knowing the false from the real. That's enormously important. Those gifts are given to us. They're placed within us by the giver of all gifts. The spirit of God fills us and we have those gifts at work. And they're not just meant for us. They're not meant for just a little even Christian gathering. They're meant to be the light of God through us. Think of it. Think of how. How did Joseph rise to be the governor of Egypt? Word of knowledge. Prophetic interpretation. That's how he became it. Think of Daniel. How did he? Think of, go back over and over again, when people in pagan cultures, in difficult cultures, how did they rise and begin to, to let the influence of God pour into that? Through the gifts of the Spirit, it did. Those gifts are ours. They're ours today. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's, these gifts are ours now. We need to be growing in this because we are the light of the world now. Let's review what we've learned. Jesus doesn't give us a map and wait for us at the end. He guides us day by day like, like the pillar of fire guided Israel. Two, Jesus reveals the truth about God. He teaches us his ways so choice by choice and decision by decision we won't be deceived and stumble. He shines his light on the path so we can become blessed and fruitful. And finally, three, we receive from him, but then we become a source for others. There's an attitude adjustment in this. As a follower of Jesus, I don't come to him only to receive the things that I need, but he wants to change me until there arises from my life an overflow of everything he gives me. You might say, I become a river, not a lake. The response to this, I would suppose, is we would ask ourselves, Lord, am I being a river or am I a lake? What's, what's the difference? Well, a river has, has water pour in one side and pour out in equal measure out the other side. A lake has water pour in, but it goes nowhere. It just gets wider. People who give away, people who serve others, are easy to minister to. They, they come to church weary and thirsty. They aren't picky. They just need to be in his presence and to hear his word. To be refreshed so they can go out and serve again. I, I, I've said this numerous times, but it's worth repeating. Uh, a dear friend of mine once said to me, he said, if people are thirsty, Steve, they don't care if it's a gourd or a goblet. They just want a drink of water. And the, the, the understanding of that is, is when people begin to be picky at the vessel, they're really not thirsty. How do you get thirsty? How do you grow? You do it by serving. It's never just by learning. By just sitting and learning, by just sitting and taking in, we actually grow bored. We grow dull. Because we're not trying it, we're not experiencing it, we really don't understand even the questions, and, and, and we just don't even feel the need. 
There is no particular need there. So the need we have is more for entertainment or for stimulus. We're bored, so we want you to make us cry or laugh or something just so that we come out feeling better. Um, because that's really why we come to church is feel better. But the person who's the river, the person who's serving and giving out all, all, all week long, they're dry. I can see them come in the doors often, you know, just, you know, they've been serving, they've been giving, they've been, and, they, and what do they want? Give me a drink of water. You know, I, I need to worship and I need to feel his presence. I, I need to hear the word. You know, for me, and, is, and I think it is for you too, we need to come and touch Jesus. I need to hear Jesus, like even when we do today, and we sit there in that courtyard and we see him uh, after that event with the, with the woman, and then he turns to him and he says, I'm the light of the world. I want to be in that crowd. I want to be near him. It's like when I'm near him, then I get the fresh energy to do another week. But if I'm not near him and, I, and, I, I get, and I'm pouring out all the time, after a while, I just run out. I'm tired. I'm, I'm weary. I'm sad. I feel drained. You know the feeling? If you're, if you're a river, you do. You know the feeling. And so what we look for and what we long for when we come to him is we, we just want it. We want to worship into his presence. We want to sense him and... and, and and, and exchange our, our, our fears for joy and for those things. We want that great exchange going on in our heart. And then we want to hear the word. We want to cut us. We want to be bringing it back to Jesus. And out we go. We serve again. We pour out again. And then we need it again. Drink, feed, pour out. And that's the cycle. And that's how you grow. You and I do not grow by just listening, by just sitting or just finding a church worthy of us. Would you, would you stand with me? Lord Jesus, as we listen, you are the light of the world. Those who follow you will not walk in darkness, but we will have the light of life within us. Lord Jesus, we would be your disciples. We would be a river, each of us. You give us different ways of doing it, every one of us, a, an enormous variety. But we would be such rivers, whether it's to our families or to others in our workplaces, whether it's within the church life or neighbors. We will not just hold and contain. We will pour out. And then, Lord, we, we know you, that you will fill us afresh. You, will, you are our light. You are our source. And as we come to you, we are filled to overflowing. So overflow us, Lord. As the week comes out ahead of us now, would you just pour out of us? Would you give us opportunity to love and give and serve? Would you allow us the light of God that's been given to us to be shared with others? We ask for divine appointments. We ask for, for you to lead us into clear ministries. We would be disciples and let the light of God flow through us. We are the light of the world. We embrace that. We don't run from it. The, the, the light's yours, not ours. But we do bear you. We bear you everywhere we go. So come, Lord, make us the light of the world. We ask for that in Jesus' powerful name. If you agree with that, would you say amen? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, 
please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.